if you'll find the book of Matthew, chapter 15, please. Matthew 15. Very interesting interaction here between the Lord and his disciples and some Pharisees. We could call this message mouth and heart. So I'm going to read from verse 1, Matthew 15, verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. That's kind of a, that's a quotation from two completely different verses. The part where it begins, Honor your father and mother, is from Exodus 20. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And then the next reference is found in the next uh, in the next chapter. But the Lord says, God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. When he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. I think probably all of us know bits and pieces about who the Pharisees are and what the Pharisees are all about. Um, But there's probably a lot we don't actually know about them. They were very vigilant in the practice of their religion. I'm purposefully using the word religion here. Um, I would say most of the Pharisees didn't have a, a faith that would prove to be saving faith, but they were super religious. 
some of the Pharisees came to saving faith in Christ. They knew, I'm going to use the word Bible here, but not a one of them had a Bible. They knew the scriptures probably better than all of us combined. The, the, the Pharisees were very knowledgeable of the scriptures. Um, they had, now here's a key phrase here. This, this theme will come up here. They had hearts full of the words of their traditions. Their hearts not only had the scriptures kind of mixed into their hearts, but their hearts were full of the words of their traditions. And they did not easily receive Christ's words like little children. You remember the the Lord Jesus speaking and saying something along the lines of, unless you receive me, Unless you receive the gospel like little children, unless you are converted and believe like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He actually, I'm pretty sure he says that in Matthew 13 and we're in 15. So he, he said that either back two chapters or he says it up ahead here in another couple chapters. There's a, there's a childlike quality that is required for someone to hear and believe and to be saved. And the Pharisees, by and large, didn't possess that. What's the difference between a Pharisee approach to hearing teaching and a child's approach to hearing teaching? What, how, how would you contrast those two things? Well, pride and humility would probably be your, your one-word answer. Little children, they, they pretty much know they don't know anything. Unless you have the rare child who does know everything. Maybe most of our families have a kid who knows everything. But most kids, at least until they hit a certain age, they know they don't know everything. And they love learning from their dad or from their grandfather. The Pharisees weren't a people who who approached learning and, and listening like this. They had a very difficult time learning and understanding anything from Christ. Well, this passage is a very, I believe it's going to be very insightful if you can concentrate and follow with me through this passage. It helps us see how words defile a man. This passage is going to teach you and I how words defile a man. So we're going to consider just for a moment here the the passage uh, our subheading here would be the broken commandment of hypocrites. So there's a broken commandment of hypocrites. We'll give some definitions and some explanations here. There's a question there in verse 2. Do you see the question? Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Well, the Lord actually takes this question and he escalates it. It turns into a confrontation that is intensified in the next verse. In other words, the Lord Jesus doesn't offer a simple answer to this question. He actually ramps it up. He's being challenged. Why don't your disciples do this? What does he say? Why do you disobey the commandments? So it was here and now it's here. We find it escalating. The teacher says, the teacher, capital T, the Lord Jesus says, why do you transgress the commandment of God with your traditions. Verse 2 and 3. 
right in the beginning there. Why do you transgress the commandment? Transgress means uh, offend, it means break. Do it wrong. Why do, why do you break the rule and do this wrong? The Lord, in verses 3 and 4, he points out that their religion wrecks, as I mentioned to you a minute ago, wrecks, bashes, distorts Exodus 20, verse 12, which is where you see the commandment. It's a commandment in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother in the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any of you who, who would be able to sustain an argument saying that that isn't a, a simple thing for us to understand, even to today. You should honor your mother and, mother and father in the Lord. God created men and, and, and required that of them. In the next uh, chapter, Exodus 21, 17, is where the, um, the next part of the statement that they make when, when he's challenging them or when they're discussing this, who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. And that's in verse 4. That's from the next chapter there in Exodus. So here's the commands. The Lord Jesus points out these two commands about parents, honoring parents. And it's fascinating to see what they've done. Something's happened inside the mind and the heart of the Pharisee. And, and, and there's a bit of theological wordsmithing taking place here. Do they know Exodus 20.12? Do you think the Pharisees know Exodus 20.12? Honor your father and mother? Yeah, of course they do. Do they know the reference in Exodus 21? Of course they know. If you curse father and mother, you should be put to death. They know these things. Look what happens here in uh, verses 5 and 6. He says, But you say, so they know these things. The Lord Jesus says, But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. You see, they haven't said that the scripture doesn't say that. They didn't say, the Bible doesn't say honor your father and mother. They don't say that. They don't deny what the scripture says. What have they done? They've, they've, they, they've danced around the meaning of it. They've inserted some, what, what, what they would say, just some, some effective reasoning to give them an out. They've wordsmithed the command and they don't feel obligated to it. How have they done it? The Lord Jesus says they've done it with their tradition. He says, with your tradition, you have nullified the command. Verse 7 and 9, 7 through 9, the Christ brings Isaiah's testimony to bear on them. He quotes a, a portion of Isaiah, and he's, he, he's bashing against their religion. What does he call them through Isaiah's words? He calls them hypocrites. 
When you call somebody a hypocrite, it's usually an intense situation. It's usually got some pretty serious conflict in it when you call somebody a hypocrite. Lord Jesus says, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you. Very clear. He's, he's making this charge directly against them. These people draw near me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here we're getting deep into the spiritual and the theological that actually matters, that pertains. Their mouth, the Pharisee mouth, and in a few minutes we're going to consider everybody's mouths, but the Pharisee mouth has one demeanor toward God. What is it? What, what, what is a Pharisee's demeanor toward God? We respect him. We honor him. The Lord Jesus, in quoting Isaiah, he says, you draw near to him with your mouth. And that's what they do. They're, they're even happy to hear, yeah, I mean, don't you know that about us, Jesus? We love God. We rever him. But there's a problem. The mouth is drawing near. What's the problem? heart and the mouth are in different places. The heart and the mouth are, are, are not together. There's a, there's a discord here between heart and mouth. What comes out of the mouth and lips? I, Isaiah said, mouth and lips draw near. How do they do that? What does a mouth do and what does lips do to draw near to God? What do they do? They talk. They praise. They admire. They glorify. They make much of their religious knowledge and affection with their mouth. They speak great words. God and the Lord Jesus saying, this is what you Pharisees do, your mouth and your lips, they draw near to God. You are wonderfully religious people with your mouths. You know how to say great things and true things about God with your mouths. Where's your heart? Where are your hearts? The heart is far, far from God. But this is with words, words of closeness, and a heart of distance. Words of closeness and a heart of distance. The Lord is helping us to see that, that words are commonly used in this way. Words are commonly made apparent in a way that means something different than what the heart means. Can you see that? The, the Lord's saying that this, this, this way of using your mouth in a way that betrays the reality in your heart is so common. This is such a normal thing. We have a special word for it. What's the special word we use to describe this kind of thing? Hypocrisy. When the mouth is in one place and the heart is in another, you're a hypocrite. <coughs> What would it be like to 
to be in the Pharisees' shoes as they're contemplating on this. So if the mouth is honoring, the heart is dishonoring. This is what the Lord is pointing out. Your heart is speaking something different from your mouth. How does the heart speak? How do you think the heart speaks? Now, it's not actually saying any words that anybody hears, right? The heart isn't actually saying anything that you can hear with your ears. But the heart has, has said something that at least the owner of the heart can hear. The owner of the heart can hear it. And it seems to me that the Lord Jesus can hear it too. The heart is saying something with its own words. Now this is going to be, I, 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 I beg you to work your minds and concentrate with me to, to, to work your way through this. The heart is also saying words. And ultimately what we're going to learn in this passage here is this. True worshipers, true God-fearing people have mouths and hearts with the same words in them. If, if the words of your true glorifying to God are the same as your heart's glorifying to God, if they're the same, then you are a God-fearing, God-glorifying person. But if you're playing games, if, if the mouth and the heart are doing different things, then you're a hypocrite. And this is what the Lord is zeroing in on here. And I think we learn some pretty profound things as we listen to this conversation here. Verses 10 and 11 He goes on, he says, He called the multitudes to himself, and he said to them, Hear and understand. So now the Pharisees may very well be some distance off by this point. He says, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. What comes out of a mouth? Words. But didn't a moment ago, didn't he say they draw near him with their mouth? How do you draw near to God with your mouth? And I already said it. You're praising him. You're, 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 you're seeking him for his favor because you love him. You draw near with your mouth. You draw near to God with words. But the Lord Jesus said, the thing that goes into your mouth doesn't defile you. Now, what does that relate to in what we're reading? What, how did the whole story begin? The question was, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? In other words, dirty hands that are eating are making you ceremonially unclean. They're polluting you. That was the charge. These people are becoming ungodly because they're eating in an unclean way. And the Lord Jesus is saying further down in the text here, he's saying, what goes into your mouth doesn't defile you. In other words, go ahead and eat without washing your hands, and it's not going to make you unclean. What makes you unclean? What comes out of your mouth? This is what makes you unclean. Totally kind of making a play on the words and a play on the challenge that was brought to him in the first place. The 
disciples very quickly change the subject in the close of our text here, in the close of this passage. His disciples came and said, Do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard these sayings? And how does the Lord respond to that? He answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Leave them alone. Let's talk about heart and mouth for a second. Let me try to um, put this thought together for you. The mouth, he says the mouth defiles. And a moment ago, we were agreeing together. We were acknowledging that that the mouth has actually drawn near. The mouth has said something nice. God, you're great, for example. Why is that? Why is that mouth who said, God, you're great? How can that defile the man when it was actually the heart that was far away? The quote in Isaiah says, the heart's far away. The mouth is the thing that... Why is it the mouth that defiles? Why does the Lord Jesus say that? The heart is the thing using the lips. The heart is the thing using the lips to put on a front, to make a fake face. I hope you make that connection here. The heart and the mouth work together. The mouth is the pretender. Look at Proverbs 4.23. I think we've looked at this quite a bit over the last uh, couple of months. Proverbs 4.23 but I think it really clarifies this point. Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. Keep it. Protect it. For out of it spring the issues of life. So if the heart was like a, 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 a fountain, if the heart was like an artesian well, there's something coming out of it. Just flowing out of it. it. It's called the issues of life here. The heart is the place where life's stuff comes out of for you. Your life's joys, your life's ambitions, your life's fears, all of your responses to life flows out of the heart. How does the heart interact with the world? Well, it uses your body, it uses your life, it uses your mouth. The heart uses the mouth. It uses words of the heart, of the mouth. The two things, in a way, are almost the same thing. They're not the same thing. The mouth isn't the same thing as the heart. But the mouth gets its words from the heart. And so the mouth that is betraying the heart, we're talking about the lying heart of the Pharisees. When those two things are in uh, cahoots with each other to make a deception, the heart pretending godliness when it's not godly, that's why the mouth is defiling the man. The mouth is is the proof that the person is a liar. 
They're in collusion with each other. The heart and the mouth are, are teaming up to make this false appearance that the Lord calls hypocrisy. Look at Proverbs 26:24. Proverbs 26 and verse 24 begins saying, He who hates, speaking about he who hates, where is hate? It's in your heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips. How do you disguise hate with your lips? He who hates disguises it with his lips. When you see a person that you hate, if you have a friend like that, kind of an oxymoron to call him a friend, but if you have a person like that, how do you greet them? I hate you. Or, hey, how you doing today? Good to see you. He who hates disguises it with his lips, is what the proverb says. You see how the mouth and the heart have teamed up together for one reason. What are they working together for? What is the heart and the mouth working together for? To put on a good front. To make sure it's an approvable, admirable front. That's why the mouth is going to disguise hate. Because if I know you hate this person and that person, I think you're a terrible person because you hate people. We, we, we despise haters. We think it's bad to hate. So we hide this hate because it's shameful. The mouth keeps it hidden. The heart and the mouth work together. Does the Pharisee hate the thing that he's disguising that's come up in this passage? In other words, is there hate going on inside the heart of the Pharisee in this text that we're looking at here? Well, I think we could say this. The honoring of the parents and the not cursing of the parents is the thing that the Lord Jesus attacks. What do they do instead of honoring their parents? They're supposed to honor their parents with their wealth. They're supposed to help support their mother and father. They're supposed to, as they're aging, take care of them. Is that what the Pharisees are doing here? No. They've, they've come up with a theological way to sidestep that necessary honoring of their mother and father. What do they hate? They hate God for requiring them to take care of their parents. They hate God for asking them to use their money to support their mom and dad. They hate. But can they let that hate be known? Can they tell their friends, I hate it that God asks us to use our money to take care of our parents. They can't let that be known. So the heart of that hate and the mouth must collude together to appear to be honorable. To be noble, good people. So how do they do it? The Pharisees call it korban. That money that I would have used to help you mom and dad is now a gift to God. They've got a theological re And so listen to me honoring God. Listen to me saying these wonderful things as I 
snuggle up next to the greatness and the glory of God. I love Him. This is how I love Him. They're hypocrites. The Lord Jesus points out their hypocrisy. He says, your mouth defiles you. He can't admit his covetousness, so he uses his words. And and honestly, the hearts of these ones practicing this kind of thing, they're they're very quickly convinced themselves. They're self-deceived. These hearts end up owning this tradition and this theology and, and, and they do it without a second thought. They live in the darkness of their own self-deception. I think that we as, as Christians can fall into a, a similar kind of a ditch. And I'm just going to go down this road for a moment here. Sometimes you notice people and, and sometimes you notice people's defects. Now, these defects can be myriad. There are a lot of things that, that different ones of us might notice about different people. It happens to be in our nature to notice weaknesses, character flaws, habits. You notice things about people. And you'll talk about them with another people. You'll, 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 you'll say something that's maybe demeaning about this thing that you have observed. Where does that come from? Is it only in your mouth? Or did it come out of your heart? And why did it come out of your heart? Why did this thing that that you're thinking and then you're saying, why did it come out of your heart? Well, it often comes from the fact that you despise that weakness. You you, you see that and you look down on it and in a weird way it serves to lift you up. That that could be a reason why you see that and you look down on it and and you make light of it. But if your heart knows men the way God knows men, your heart won't despise people for their weaknesses. I'm not saying you wouldn't recognize them, but I am saying you wouldn't demean them for it. You wouldn't um, despise them for it. You wouldn't be mean or, or mocking in light of it. So our challenge as Christians here is what's in my heart that produces first some thoughts or two and then words that are reviling or angry or despising or somehow or another being unseemly. It's it's a heart that isn't filled with God's words. It's a heart that's got worldly words in it. And this is the warning for a Christian. This is where you and I would say, oh, 
If all you can manage to do is shut your mouth, when you are first confronted with this thing, you, you hear yourself about to say something about somebody that is... Uh, like, for example, a very, very simple example. In, in our day and age, over the last many decades probably, a certain sector of our population will call the president an idiot. Okay? That's an example of, of words that they're, they're in not even a little bit constructive. They're not a little bit interested in articulating some true, valid complaint, some reasonable point of discussion. They're not that. They're, they're, they're strictly a worldly uh, reviling. Right? Where do those words come from? Well, they, they come from hate. They come from, um, I'm sure there's better words I could insert. They don't come from the Spirit of God. But if all you can do, you feel you're about to say, man, that guy is such an idiot. You feel yourself about to say that. And you're like, hmm, I'm just going to shut my mouth. That's better than nothing. But what's the problem? What's really the problem? The fountain is on. The real problem is the fountain. The real problem is what we're at in, in Proverbs 4. From the heart come the issues of the life. How do you address the heart? When the heart has got these issues, what, how, how do you fill the heart with God's words? How do you do that? Do you feel the need to do that so that your mind and your mouth are close to the Lord? in perfect harmony, in perfect synchronization. That's what we want. We, we want a heart that is honoring to the Lord. So I'm not saying that we can't think critically about the president even. We can. We even should so that we maybe would do a better job of electing one the next time you get to have an election. But you shouldn't make this other error. So... Let me get back into our text here. We'll probably touch on this another uh, little bit here. How did the Pharisee become a hypocrite? The Lord Jesus calls them hypocrites. He uses the words of Isaiah to say, you hypocrites. First, this Pharisee opposes God and God's words with his own words. That is, there are words in his heart. And the first time he began thinking about using his money to honor his mother and father, the first time that occurred to him, there was some sort of conflict in his heart and in his mind. There were words there. And maybe as a young boy, he knew that the word of God, the commandment for me to honor my parents is right there in Exodus 20. And in the next chapter, it teaches us to not curse our mother and father. So he knew that at some point very clearly. And the first time that it occurred to him that he didn't really want to do that, there was a conflict in his heart. How did he become a hypocrite? He began to have this conversation in his heart. He began to figure out a way, if I do that, man, that, that might run me thirty or 40000 a year. And, and if I do that, how in the world am I going to get a new truck? How am I going to finish paying off my house? How am I going to go to Hawaii? He's got this batch of words in his heart and in his mind. And 
Then a year or two or five years later, the words are almost unhearable anymore. He just does it because it's now his tradition. It's now his habit. This is how a person becomes a hypocrite. Early in your confrontation with the Word of God, when the Word of God confronts your lying or your covetousness or these issues that want to issue out of our hearts, when, when the Word confronts us with these things, if you're not careful, you're going to let the flesh win the argument. You're going to let the non-God loving part of you own and rule the conversation and then you're going to happily become a hypocrite so you can have your way. What comes out of the mouth, this is what defiles the man. And this is what the Lord was teaching to his disciples there. The Pharisee did not keep his heart. We can go all the way back again to that problem. The Pharisee didn't keep his heart. He wasn't concerned to let his heart be full of God's thoughts, full of God's words, full of God's ways. He, he wouldn't let himself be content with walking in God's ways. He could have kept his heart. You can keep your hearts. You keep your hearts by knowing God's word and trusting in his word and loving what his word says. Sometimes when you decide to love his word, there is a conflict in your heart. Let's say you're really tight on money and you feel the, the, a little bit of conviction about your, your tithing maybe. You haven't been giving and you're like, oh man, I, I should have been giving it. And you find this kind of conflict going on in your heart. And the person who decides, I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to have God's words be the thing that are the substance of my heart and I'm going to walk with Him and the Lord loves that. The Lord honors that. He doesn't call that person a hypocrite. The Pharisee didn't keep his heart, but the heart in his case and in every case is connected to the mouth. And unless the owner of the heart has taken care to guard it, it will issue forth with hypocrisy and dead religion. Dead religion. Psalm 30. Oh, Psalm 12, 3. Look at this one. Psalm 12, 3. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. You know what flattery is? I find myself guilty of uh, flattery at times. Flattery means that you compliment or you you give affection and praise because you think it's going to come back to you in your favor. That's what flattery is. It's 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 pouring it on smooth and sweet because it's going to come back and give you benefit. So flattery isn't simply being generous and kind with your words. It's actually being selfish for you. Flattery is for you, not for the person you're giving your praises to. But that's what we do with the mouth. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. You find your tongue sometimes eager and willing to speak proud things. 
find your mouth ready to open itself in that way. The Lord hates that. The proud mouth flows from a proud heart. Look at Psalm 3730. Psalm 3730. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. That word judgment is is like the word righteousness. So that mouth speaks of righteousness. The mouth of the righteous. Where is righteousness? It's in the heart. It's, It's in the heart that wants to be upright and right before the Lord. So that heart speaks in that way. It speaks wisdom. It speaks about righteousness. And Proverbs 15.4 A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness is a breach in the spirit. Now this is a really interesting passage here. What's a breach? You guys know what a breach is? It's a, it, 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 it's a break. So if the spirit has got a breach in it, That means it's broken. It's not guarded. It's not walled up properly. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein or in it is a breach in the spirit. Perverseness can be in many different uh, aspects. It's uh, unnaturalness. So ungodly, unnatural desire and affection in it is a breach. So this is an example of how the the tongue is either a place of blessing or of judgment. I see a couple of verses here. Let me close and just give you some thoughts on how James has commented on this subject as well. James talked about useful religion. It's interesting that James calls it religion as well. When I was younger, religion was always a word used that that meant non-Christian faith. Is that how you guys use the word religion? When, when we used religion when I was younger, we would say, well, they're just religious. That meant they did religious stuff, but they had no religious belief. Um, James uses the word religion here, and he's talking about, when, when James refers to useful religion, he's saying real faith. Useful religion is, is, is prayer that is genuine prayer. It's it's a walk with God that is a genuine walk with God. Useful religion is the real thing. So James speaks for uh, a bit in the book of James about a heart that is not deceived. And so the Christian is to take care that he presents deception from being in his heart. James will comment on this in chapter 1 here. James in 126 says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious, I think that's all of us. All of us in James' sense here think we're religious. So that's everybody so far. If anyone among you thinks he's religious 
and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. That's actually a pretty complicated verse. But it is exactly what we're reading about in Matthew 15. What is useless religion? Well, it's a self-deceived heart, a self-deceived heart with a mouth that is under the reign of godlessness. As in, the the mouth is willing to speak and, and be used and operate without the Spirit, without true reverence for the Lord. There's deception in this heart. Godlessness, I have referred to as slippery religion, which is what the Pharisees were doing, right? Slippery religion. Were the the Pharisees genuinely honoring God and their parents? No. But they were still being religious. They, they, They found a way to do it with the way they worded their words and the way they stated their tradition. Slippery religion. Godlessness is gossip or reviling or unrighteous anger or lying or coarse jesting. Useless religion is religion whose mouth does not speak in such a way as to reflect the dignity of God, the the truthfulness of God, the consistency of God. That's what useless religion is. That mouth speaks that way because his own heart is deceived. It's been pretty popular for the last... 20 years or so for pastors to to preach and use foul language even from the pulpit. And that's a deception that has crept into the church and that has crept into the heart and the mouth of pastors. It's, it's, it's hip to them. It's cool. They, they feel... God's grace is so great that I can speak how I want to for effect and, and, and it'll be more meaningful or impactful to my car so they don't feel embarrassed or ashamed to speak coarsely or with foul language. But James speaks very, very clearly to that. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. James speaks about the heart that is bridled What's a bridle? It goes in a horse's mouth. That's about all I can say. And and it's how the owner of the horse can steer the horse. In other words, your mouth shouldn't be in charge. Do you blurt? Do you, do you, do you talk without thinking? Has that ever happened to any? Fortunately, it still happens to me. I'm getting closer to 60 every day. And I, I still do it. The, the, the text here speaks about a bridled mouth. Who holds the reins? Who holds the reins of the bridled mouth of useful religion? Who holds the reins? Christ. Christ. If God's words are in your mouth and in your heart, then God is holding the reins. 
You want to put yourself in a place where you're submissive to the Lord and where your life and your religion is truly useful to the Lord. The last lines is a comment about those who have been offended. And the offended are cautioned by the Lord. Every plant which my Heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. It's a very interesting closing comment that he, he speaks there. It almost sounds like it's a comment borrowed from the parable of the sower. In other words, some seeds take root for a little while and then they die. That's the parable of the sower. There's another parable that this sounds like it comes from, the parable of the tares. What's the parable of the tares? An enemy of the landowner comes in one night and he plants tares among the wheat. The tares are not good for anything. And the, one of the workers on the farm says, hey, should I pull it all up? And he says, no, if you pull it up, it'll ruin the rest of the plants. Just let it grow. And when everything's full grown, we'll pull up the tares and we'll burn up the tares and we'll pull up the wheat and we'll keep and store the wheat. So the closing lines of this, of this text is a warning to whoever would have heard it. The last lines are this. The one who is a hypocrite in their religion, like the Pharisee who is being corrected here, this, this one, unless he comes to repentance, unless he is willing to let his mouth come under the reign of Christ, along with his heart who is willing to come under the reign of Christ, you see the two must be together. The heart and the mouth must be together. And if the, 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 the person who is religious has got the mouth and the heart in collusion to fake it, then they are like these Pharisees. And he's saying, read the last line of the, of the statement again. It just says, um, uh, there it is, verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly Father hasn't planted will be uprooted. That means killing the plant. It's going to be pulled up and it'll die and it'll it'll go into the into the fire with the tares. So I'm going to close with you in a word of prayer for a moment and and look in your heart. Look in your heart and ask the Lord with me while we're praying. Say, Lord, help me to watch my mouth. Help this mouth be closely connected to this heart that loves you, Lord. I love you. I, I love your words. I love your ways. I'm not willing to be a hypocrite and dishonor you, Lord. Let's pray for a minute.